there's an article in uh, Sports Illustrated I remember a few years ago that detailed like the number of condoms that are handed out and stuff. It's like a staggering number of condoms. Hey, welcome back to another Zengineering podcast. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Ian. That third right. voice is Ian uh, Prashard. He is our second ever guest and our first not trained in improv. But also, you know, you're you're a perfectly good conversationalist, so it's not like I'm, I'm really worried. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like... Boring improv, right? <laughs> <laughs> Barbecue improv. Amateur. Amateur improv. Yeah, I can think of less hilarious things to say. <laughs> well, we were just talking before we started rolling about, you know, you're also a writer. So professionally, yeah, you, you deal in words and turn turn of phrase. <laughs> yeah, and at my at my my water job, my day job, I, I mean, I do a lot of writing in that job, too. I did. Um, I do a lot of, like, bureaucratic state required documents and i think i've the totals upwards of 260 pages since january 1st this year wow documents so yeah it's a lot there's a lot of words on the page is that talk about boring yeah yeah those are probably really engaging documents right (laughs) you can't surprise you're still here and you haven't gone to download it yet i'm sure they're publicly available right so they are they are good if you wanted to of course Uh, so yeah, do you want to, I can, you know, I can try to muddle my way through an intro or you want to just talk a bit about the, the water yeah, job? Be, Cause I think that's the plan is to talk about that today. Right. Right. So, uh, I work at the Camarosa water district, which is a medium sized special water district in Ventura County. We serve the Eastern portion of the city of Camarillo and the Santa Rosa Valley, which is unincorporated Ventura County land. Uh, we serve, Water to about 30,000 people. We sewer part of the system or part of the city, and we have a wastewater treatment plant that creates recycled water that we deliver for agriculture irrigation. About two-thirds of the water, a little less than two-thirds of the water that we serve for drinking purposes, we get from the state water project, which is water that comes from the delta uh, east of San Francisco. You hear a lot about in the newspaper, right? At least yeah, the last you beat year. me to my first um, question, which was going to be when you say you serve water, like where does it come from? I say because either it's either the Delta or like the right. Colorado so River, right? So if you're in if you're in L.A. South, Eastern Los Angeles County and South, you get a lot of Colorado River water, uh, and so the Metropolitan Water District is this very large organization. It's a state created organization. <laughs> that delivers state water project water from the Delta all the way to the Mexican border. And they have 26 agencies and cities that they serve wholesale water to that in turn serve. So like the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, LADWP, they buy from Met and they serve to you. So the water that comes out of your faucet that you made your coffee with that you're drinking now, that comes mostly from the Delta. It's about 400 miles away from Los Angeles as a crow flies. Sierra Nevadas get snow, snow melts, goes through the delta. There's pumps at the bottom of the delta that put into the California aqueduct. That runs along the eastern foothills of the coastal ranges and into the LA basin. And and I feel like process. I feel like it's important to so, note what a shit ton of infrastru- infrastructure <laughs> that requires, you know, like just, that's just a lot of concrete, it is, if it nothing is a else, lot of to make that happen. Yeah, is this just 
big pipes running all over the world pumping water to cities? Well, it is once you're inside the cities, primarily it's pipes, but from the delta down to Tehachapi, where it has to go get in a pipe to go up over the hill. Uh, it's in the, the California aqueduct is an open trench, so it's just a concrete line channel. Uh, wow. They started they started building it in 1961, the State Water Project, when Jerry Brown's dad was the governor what of California. Chinatown is about uh, <laughs> uh, a little bit, yeah, to some extent. And Chinatown is alive and well still. It's, <laughs> people ask like, "Oh yeah, no, I see." When I tell people what I do. And uh, the the normal response to what I do is like, oh well, someone's <laughs> well. So do the it. reason the reason we thought, I mean, <laughs> among other reasons but, to get yeah. to that are more fun, the real like the first thing that was like that, like oh, you should be on the podcast territory is like I have stood next to you at many a social function where you mention what your job is, and the response is, oh, so is the drought really that bad? And your answer is always, do you want the five-minute answer or the right. one-hour answer? And you can imagine in a bar, you know, do you ever get to deliver the one-hour? I think in your email right. you said, do you want the short answer or do you want the truth? So, right. Yeah. So the point is, how, like, Explain what are the fans. numbers on how bad the drought Not everyone really out there understands is. all this. Like, direct, like, what do we talk, like, how do you measure that to begin with? Like in your world, what's, what, what do you, what's the metric that you use for? Well, how does that just relate to pumping water so a lot of it, you know, there's a, a lot of talk in uh, headlines that are first in the leads of newspaper articles over the last year or so that have said it's the worst drought in 500 years and you know there weren't a lot of newspapers <laughs> recording droughts um, 500 <laughs> years ago so that you know they do that by <clears throat> looking at tree rings and soil samples and you know they they core out geology and look down and see when was the last time it looked like it was this dry? And uh, we had the last three years have had less than a third of our annual average precipitation um, in the area where I am, and I think that's pretty true across Southern California. They got quite a bit up in the north, but you know it's not just rainfall. Uh, it's also when you're in the water industry, it's about groundwater elevations too. So how much groundwater is left in your basins, right? So even if it rains a lot for one year and everything is green. That doesn't mean that it's been enough water over a long enough period of time for groundwater basins to recover. One of the interesting things about uh, the cycle of climate that we're in, <laughs> without going too deep into whether we created that problem or not, um, is, that, is that snow, people are afraid, they got plenty of snow in the Sierras this year, but people are afraid that it might melt too quickly if it melts too quickly, then it overwhelms the delta system and just goes out into the ocean. And uh, we can't capture a lot of that because we depend normally on the snow in the Sierras melting at a decent rate over the course of the spring and into the summer and running off at a rate at which we can capture the majority of it, send it south. And if it goes, if it gets too hot too early and it all melts, then... I'm astonished as we're talking about this. I'm I'm trying to like conceptualize, bring together everything I know about water systems, and I literally know nothing, which is weird because <laughs> I normally like I feel like I know a lot about just general stuff that's going on, and I man I can't imagine how little most people must know about how this works, like even how water like gets to their faucet and like what a water tower is for and stuff like that. It's this is a really interesting topic to be diving into, right, and that's why it's been really fun because I was a I was a you know, English literature, I got a master's in English literature, I was doing an MFA in creative writing, 
And then I got this job and I had never thought more about water. I mean, probably more than the normal person because I spent my entire life in it, you know, swimming. <laughs> and, you know, and I grew up surfing too. Yeah, but... we should introduce that. I know Ian from years of swimming together uh, competitively. So waters, waters, you know. Yeah, water is, is Lots my of group bath time. Like that, right? It is. It is in our blood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I thought, for the most part, I never thought about where it came from when it came out of the tap either. Like, it's just there, you know? And I think that's one of the things about the developed world, like the developed Western world, is that we don't mm -hmm. want to think about our necessities. We don't want to even have them things that, like, we have to think about, right? right. Like, your sewer, there's a guy that comes and gets your trash every day. It's unreal. You pay, like, <laughs> 15 to 50 bucks a month for people to take your poop away. You don't even have to think about it, you know? <laughs> You can courtesy flush and barely smell it, you know? But the courtesy flush costs some extra water. <laughs> it does. You know, so it's a lot. Be careful with it. Quite it's much balance, water. right? Do you, does that, this is, this is a much broader question, but does that, does the knowledge or your sort of daily interaction with the fact of this necessity and, uh, you know, how, how close or otherwise not actually that close we are to some sort of crisis of a proportion that, like, really matters? Does that, are you, do you live in like a perpetual state of, you know, like, does it perpetually reframe everyone else's whining about, you know, <laughs> like about stupid um, bullshit? Well, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like, yeah, if they're having a, a problem that's going to be six months away, I'm like, don't worry, you won't, no one will live in California. <laughs> <laughs> so that, so that, I guess that feels like a good segue into the, you know, the question, right? Which is like, how bad is it in terms of impact in our life and like what's the importance of water to your life? Like you were just talking about, right? Like it's a necessity so much so that we have figured out ways to handle making sure it gets to us to the extent that your average person just never even has to think about it. Um, never has to think about it. And so included in that is a really fascinating extent to which like you're tracking stuff, right? Like the fact that, you know, the water table and the elev, like, you know, like you were saying, the elevation in the, in the basins is like obvious, definitely something people don't even like, even if you try to stay apprised of the water situation in California, I feel like it's not a thing you would know. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I think it's really, it's extremely difficult. And that's one of the insights that I've gotten over the five or six years that I've uh, been working in water is that, you know, there's, you know, there's an old saying that a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. And I think that that's really true because I've, I've hit like three or four plateaus where I thought like I knew what I was talking about, you know, and you're like, oh, dude, I totally got this. And then a few months later, you're like, oh, no, no, idea. no I, I obviously have no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's someone who works in it five days a week, you know, and so there's, there are a number of, this is probably not the most flattering way to describe someone, but a number of gadflies um, <laughs> in Ventura County and people that I see at the metropolitan meetings. But I'm talking like one or two or three people in like the entire county who like, sh who are just in general public concerned citizens who show up at these meetings. They're just citizens, right? Not like journalists. Right. Or no, just total citizens. And that's the thing is that it's supposed to be a public process. Everyone's meetings are always open to the public. All those documents are public documents that the state and people like me create hundreds and hundreds mm -hmm. of pages a year that are supposedly public, but it's like, who actually reads those? Besides, you know, there's a few people who, for whatever reason, have a burr under their saddle, saddle about water. 
Um, so those people might be a little bit uh, knowledgeable about, you know, about the entire water situation. But you think about like elected officials and you know people who are setting policy and making decisions, who are doing that as one of right, a million right. other things that everyday politicians and municipal workers have to deal with, like they can never be fully informed, right? And the public can never be like fully informed either because they have even more than that to do. Like they have their own jobs, they got their own family, and they just want water to fill up their swimming pools <laughs> right. and keep their lawn green and, <laughs> and make sure that the, the water coming out of their faucet isn't right. going to like poison them. And sometimes we can't even get that right. You know, <laughs> well, and the fact of all that stuff being public <laughs> is super interesting to me too, because it's like it's not just that there is a sh- like if you wanted to deep dig, deep deep dig enough deep dig, bah, <clears throat> dig dive, dig dive, no, you're not helping. <laughs> if you wanted to dig deep enough, deep dog, um, you might hit water. Dog? Did you say dog? <laughs> uh, anyway, like the information is like the depth of the. You know, so like, so like, talk through some of the stuff that, like, if you if you get a report in front of you, you, you know, on, that crosses your desk, um, that's the kind of thing that then you're supposed to act on in terms of strategy. Like, what does that look like? Like, what's on the like, what kind of, what data are you being served, and by what kind of scientists? Like, who who's watching this? Well, shit. So there's you know, in, <laughs> you know groundwater basins. There are there's most. I mean, ninety-nine percent of wells that are drilled in the, in the groundwater basins, you can they tell you what what the level water level is. So that stuff is all reported. That stuff's all aggregated by basin, and then you know overall basin health is reported um, through. I mean, any one of a number of programs, state programs, you know, local programs. If your groundwater basin is adjudicated, which means that a judge has split up water rights and appointed what they call a water master. Oh, to, cool uh, name. Yeah, it's a, it's a big hat to it wear. It sounds like the water master should wear like a wizard hat or something too, oh, right? <laughs> Doesn't he should at least like a 17th century like wig and, <laughs> and a cape, preferably a cape and a saber. Um, um, so what's cool is the way that it's sort of like I mean, it, it the system sort of progressively decentralizes in order in, in order to make the data seemingly granular. So that you does. have this sense of like over this really wide geographic area, I mean, relative to like what a man could walk in a day, right? Like you, you know well enough what's going on with the water in, in that space. Like you need to. And part of it is, you know, people need to drill wells. So you said, okay, anytime you drill a well, report, you got to report it to us. And then, and by, you know, by tapping into processes that are already happening or otherwise, I guess, commissioning scientists to do it for you is to check you end up with this data set of, you know, here's here's how we are for groundwater in our in our, our territory. Is this all government funded activities or is there like a privatized industry around this? Uh, so it's primarily primarily public. So it's primarily state government and local governments. Um, and the snow rep- like there's a there's a part of the state government that does a snow report every year. So they go up to the Sierra Nevadas and they figure out how much snow they figure out what the water content of that snow is and they make calculations to tell you like how much water that's going to equate to being in the delta over the course of the spring and the summer and then available to go south um there is a 
enormous groundwater elevation monitoring program uh, for groundwater basins all over the state. There's an enormous number of people involved in getting water from the Delta to Southern California and getting it from the Colorado to Southern California. Um, so that, yeah, there's an enormous number of people who are, in, who are involved. This, this is, this like, this, I, like, we almost, like, this comes up frequently enough that I feel like I need to make a sound effect just so I can play it, like, when this comes up on the podcast, for when we, like, this is what your taxes pay for. Like, people <laughs> bitch about, oh, my taxes are going to go up. Well, it's so you can have water. It's so you can have streets that don't have holes in them. It's so you can poop and never have to smell right. it. Right. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. this is probably some of the more complex infrastructure on Earth, and it's just one of uh, hundreds of things that need to be maintained just for you to be able to, like, wake up and brush your teeth in the morning. Right. You know, and it, and it is, and it's, it's complicated, and we've made it more and more complicated as technology has advanced and allowed us to pump water up you know because the flow of gravity you know gravity fed water we used to just not live places we couldn't run water down right and then the romans realized that as as long as the hill was big enough and far enough away (laughs) that you could run water really far away you know so you can get it up and over a smaller hill hill (laughs) build roller coasters of water and it works you know oh Um, totally but and so the romans have been doing that for a long time you know not necessarily the cleanest water, but, you know, they didn't have good sewer system in France until like the late 19th century, early 20th. But it's, but it's also, I mean, it's an example of the kind of thing that like, that's how important water is for life. Right. You know, like what, in one of our very first podcasts, we got like, okay, one of the first problems man had to solve was how do we not have to go to the same place where the bears are to get our water? Right. Like, and the thing about cause... California, I mean, American water in general, but California in particular, is that we've done too good of a job because that used to be something that you have to, and in a lot of places in the world, it still is, right? You got to take your spear and you got to take your machine gun <laughs> and you got to take your five gallon bucket of water and walk for half a day and hang out and hopefully get some water out of probably a Giardia laden poop puddle. <laughs> and right. chuck it back you know and instead we uh, in southern california like an which asshole is a, for laughing at that which is like a well, i think a perspective right i mean it's, we live in a coastal desert and people yeah people get upset when they can't water their geraniums you know or they can't have whatever kind of tropical lush landscaping that they think that they want to have they can't have their machines water their geraniums let's right. be clear these people are watering their geraniums themselves right right right, right, right. <laughs> And, uh, and by these people, I mean uh, probably us. I don't know. If I had flowers, they'd probably water themselves. Right, right, right. Or, yeah, or, they're, having, uh, or they're having the undocumented immigrants that they want to send back. Those are the people that are watering. Right, them. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we've done too good of a job because not only is the infrastructure that brings us this water invisible to most of us unless it leaks at ucla and then people are like oh those bums can't do anything right <laughs> i forgot about you know? that yeah, uh, it was like a hundred year old pipe when was that know? like last year yeah it was last year it floods the entire you know floods uh, the new stadium and half the hospital yeah that um, broke a lot of stuff it did it did got a lot of stuff wet <laughs> that's which is sort of an interesting like you know water at just this this is going crazy philosophical with it but hey, hey let's we got get a little nuts with it like <laughs> 
you know, water is is really destructive. <laughs> like if I've, you mishandle it, it'll really fuck up your life. I've got a good one, a good story about water. <laughs> if the Earth wasn't in a state where we had floating tectonic plates that were constantly moving the landmass around, there's enough water on Earth that it would eventually just grind away the land, and the planet would be entirely covered in water. Just silt. and so it's it's the it's like mountains rising up and land moving around that allows that not to happen over millions of years, and so there's water is this incredibly powerful force on our planet. I mean, it's it's maybe the most one of the most powerful, and it's also in a lot of ways you know like the first law of thermodynamics, the conservation of energy. Like you can't get rid of water, and you can fuck water up, and you can make it real dirty, but you can always <laughs> clean it back up. You can always take the stuff out of it. You know, and you just like you right. can yeah. put a lot of crap in water, but you can always just get the water back out of it. You know, often just as simply as like <laughs> leaving it in the sun. <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So this gets to a good spot. Then, so we've got all this water that's flowing around the state, running along mountains, going through pipes and stuff. What do we do with it? I mean, you were saying we've got open trenches of water that are running into cities, like into Los Angeles. Does that run through a gatekeeper? Is that all getting processed before it gets released? And then what happens when I'm done with it? Right. So there's, there's a couple of good questions and a couple of interesting answers in there. So it, when it, once it comes, we're looking at the delta. Once it comes down the California aqueduct over to the Hatchby into like the Los Angeles, greater Los Angeles area, um, there are these surface water reservoirs, so large lakes. You know, you think of like Castaic is one you think of a Havasu or Diamond Valley Lake or Lake Mead. These are all surface water reservoirs mm. that hold Delta water or Colorado River water, you know, hundreds of millions and millions and millions of gallons. Um, and so the water sits in there until we use it. And then it goes through various treatment plants and it's there that it's tested for, you know, to make sure that it's clean. And then it's, uh, disinfected with chlorine or chloramamines and fluoridated. So they still, Metropolitan Water District puts fluoride in our water. And then it's dispersed to those kind of second level wholesale purveyors or the really large agencies like LEDWP. And depending on what they do with it, whether they store it in reservoirs or outdoor reservoirs like Silver Lake, that's, that's a storage, drinking water uh, storage reservoir. Hmm. Um, it's tested and possibly disinfected again and then shunted into pipes that crawl all over the greater LA area and come out in your faucet, come out in your shower, come out in your toilet and you use it and once it goes back down the drain um, it's collected in a sewer system and it's treated to various levels of purity uh, depending on what the application of that water is going to be. And most are treated to what they call secondary levels. So it's the major solids are taken out and it's disinfected. And that's usually dropped again into like another creek. Um, in our case, there are in Los Angeles area, the Hyperion treatment plant, which is down by like um, Playa del Mar, um, is this gigantic, it serves about, I don't know, 40% of the greater LA area. And as soon as they clean up the, the, the waste that comes from all over um, the LA area, it's just discharged into the ocean. So, in a short answer, 
Snow falls in the Sierras, runs off into the Delta, gets captured and sent 400 miles south in a trench, uh, gets disinfected, sent to your home. You use it once, and then it goes out to sea. So there's a lot of initiatives in all over the place where there are water problems, but especially in L.A., to figure out how we can use water. And they, they, the catchphrase is to use every drop three times, so to see how we can use mm-hmm. water more than once. Because it does seem like right. an awful lot of stuff for a water droplet to go through to be used one time. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's the uh, second step in the old recycling, reduce, reuse, recycle. And everyone, everyone really only thinks about recycle. Everyone's like, oh, we're solving the problem because we're putting our one-time use box right, in the right, recycling right. bin. Um, <laughs> so here's a question, that, and, and I've said this a number of times, possibly erroneously. But so, you know, there's all this pressure to save water, right? Don't water your lawn. Don't flush your toilet till it's brown. You know, don't take showers. You know, all the stuff they put on TV or they put on flyers, whatever. And, you know, those guys, they, they, people in my social circles have, you know, get real hardcore into that stuff. And then they do that thing where they put a guilt trip on you, you know, when you, when you, when you, whatever, you mentioned that you washed the shit off your car once. And it's like, oh, we're supposed to be saving water. And my answer has always been like, okay, it's good to promote that culture of reduction, but like only to a point, because the percentage of the water that's being consumed by people actually washing their cars versus, say, agriculture is so minimal us caring so much that we put ourselves out left and right. Yeah. You know, it only makes so much of a difference. Uh, So, so my question is, am I an asshole? (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't think so at all. I think the right answer is sometimes. Sometimes (laughs) in this specific context. No, I'll grant you that. Um, So there's a a columnist for the LA times called George Skelton, who writes a lot about water, writes a lot about a lot of stuff. He's really, he's really good. And he had an article earlier this week about about that very question. Um, I think it's titled something like, "So the, you know, so the drought has you watering your lawn less. It's not going to matter <laughs> because uh, <laughs> and he, and he, he in there breaks down uh, the extent to or the the proportions of water that comes from the delta and that the state government kind of has control over." Uh, and he estimates that 80-some percent of the water in California goes to agriculture and that the amount of water that actually people might use to wash their car or hose down their driveway is about 4% of the water that's created in California or that's consumed in California in a given year. So the short answer is like, no, you're not an asshole for thinking that because... <laughs> You know, it's you know one of the things about water is that water is fascinating and water is interesting, and people are arguing, seem to be arguing about water all the time. These things that people argue about that seem to be about water, but are not really about water. Like in general, no one really cares about water. Um, the thing that people are arguing about, and this is where the reference earlier to Chinatown comes in, is the thing people are arguing about is la- is land use. And what we're going to do with the land that you bring water to or don't bring water to or limit the amount of water that you bring to. Mm. So 
the agriculture industry, the development industry, because we're for you know good, bad, or indifferent. California is an economy that's based entirely on growth. You know, if we don't grow, we die. And a lot of that growth is literal population growth, um, mm -hmm. which requires development of houses and all the other stuff that goes along with that. Um, but there's also an ag industry that it re requires itself to grow. And the way the ag industry has grown over the year has, has gone from rice and lentils and sugar beets, which are lower, um, not as expensive crops, to higher and higher um, cost per unit co crops. So these days it's kale, which is crazy. <laughs> you can, that's so an expensive crop. Waste you know. water, right. <laughs> uh, you know, but berries, and you think about the expensive crops that we grow in California, and we're lucky we can grow a lot of them because we're a Mediterranean, semi-tropical climate. You know, we can grow avocados and mangoes and pineapples and, you know, and almonds are the big one that are also in a lot of news, in the news a lot too. So you have these very strong industries um, that make California a lot of money and, of course, have very strong lobbying interests. And the, the things that people are arguing about, they use, they use water like a proxy war, right? They argue about water when they're really arguing well, about it. Because not getting your water is scary, right? So it's like, it's like everything, right? Like one tack you can take to win the argument is fear. Right. If you water your lawn, you might not be able to feed your kid next year. That's terrifying. When you say it like, like that. Like, that's terrifying, right? So you're like, oh, shit, I should probably drain my pool, you know? But, like, the funny, you know, and, and where, where it kicks back to the uh, Chinatown thing, you know, so for people that don't know what we're talking about, in case that's a problem. That's, that includes oh, okay. me. Uh, do you want to explain Chinatown, Ian? You have homework tonight, Jones. You should, everyone, everyone who, should, the entire fan base Chinatown. should go out and watch this movie. Maybe not uh, all at once, so but it's a great... Uh, they'll it's crash great, the server. Old yeah, flick with, right, so don't yeah, all do it, it once. Out. <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to break the, in, we don't want to break the internet tonight watching Chinatown. <laughs> um, it's an old Jack Nicholson movie, uh, and Jack Nicholson plays a cop who gets involved in this very complex... Um, it's basically a, a mystery thriller. Um, like he's, he's just trying, trying to, to solve a murder, right? He's trying to solve a murder mystery, and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and ends up tying into water issues that are being fought to determine the fate of the San Fernando Valley. Um, because the Los Angeles, I mean, the city of Los Angeles owns or has jurisdiction over or is the majority of the San Fernando Valley. Um, and they won that through like a certain amount of political manipulation and potential, potentially illegal activity. Um, but it's a strange thing that LA kind of owns that, that much space, um, especially you know, on the other side of the hill and all those things. But that was, so Chinatown is, is a story about how real estate interests trump basically like every other consideration that decent people are making in their lives right and so where it really kicks back on water is like that he nicholson figures out that what's in play is you know all of these orange groves in the valley that are going to dry up because this like magnate wants to route water to a place where he can build homes 
hmm. like to sell, you know, like cliffside estates or something like that. Um, Interesting. And so it's really, it's funny because, you know, you drive around LA and there's all these, you know, Mulholland Drive, right? Like there are all these places that are named after, like it's, a, Mulholland is a, you know, I mean, I feel like the world knows about Mulholland Drive. There's fountains in his memory and stuff. And like, he's, he's, I mean, he's credited, that's, he's basically the magnate in that movie, right? I mean, he's the guy that right. rerouted water away from all these farmers, which, you know, we say, when you say it that way, it sounds mean. But I wouldn't, you, it, LA wouldn't be able to gain the population that it does without the fact of all of these orange farmers that used to occupy the San Fernando Valley going away. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah. So what's the, uh, say we weren't dealing with a uh, potential drought or water issue at the moment. Like, how serious is the idea of population here is just too much for the amount of water we could ever bring over here? Well, you know, one of the things that we've done in the greater LA area is ever since the 90s, there was a bad drought in the early 90s um, that was ended by an El Nino and was it 95, 96? Um, and after that, there was a lot of, and I grew up here, so I remember that. Um, mm -hmm. And there was a, people really changed their lifestyle and their behavior a lot. Uh, we also spent a lot of money building those surface water reservoirs, those large lakes, um, about $5 billion after that drought, um, building up reservoirs that we that have helped us through this drought. So, uh, but one of the other things we did is we made conservation a way of life in Southern California. And over the last, this stat is a couple years old, but I'm sure it's still true because people have used even less water the last couple years, but um, because of the drought. But in 2014, I'd say like the 10 years prior to that, the greater Los Angeles area grows by an average of a quarter million people every year. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people. Wow. Um, yeah. And we've been able to meet that demand, that increased demand in water every year through conservation. So every hmm. year, enough people change the way they use water to be able to accommodate 250,000 new people using that same amount of water. Wow. So we've been able to do that for probably 10 or 12 years without adding significant demand onto the system. Hmm. Um, that, but there's going to be a ceiling to that, right? Cause I mean, people, people need water to not die. And so at some point we're going to hit the threshold of this is with no, unless no more people move to Los Angeles, like this is the least amount of water a human being can use. Yeah, absolutely. And we like, that's some like water world shit, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. You know? Mad Max type stuff, right? Mad yeah. Max. Mad yeah. Max is water. But we, so we, in the industry, we call that demand hardening. So there's less and less, like if you took out your grass last year, Metropolitan Water District had a turf rebate program, right? Where you could, if you took out your yard and you put in native landscaping or decomposed granite or some other kind of landscaping that didn't cost, didn't require very much water, they gave you $3 back per square foot to do that, right? Hmm. Um, so that's great because it immediately reduces demand, right? You go from having a lawn to not having a lawn, you immediately use a lot less water. <laughs> so you can do that this year, but you can't do that again, right? Like you've, once you've made that change, like your demand is that much harder, right? You have that much less wiggle room. So if you get to the point, like we have people, when we started this drought last year who would come into the office and I would talk to on the phone who said like, you know, I use a bucket under the shower and I capture the cold water before it gets hot, and I use that to 
to water my geraniums. Um, you know, I, I take two minute showers twice a week. I never flush the toilet. You know, I do all this like extreme stuff. I can't have rain barrels. I capture water. I use no water whatsoever. Like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like they're, what they're saying is their demand is as hard as it can get. Like they have no more leeway. So yeah, eventually, you know, it, eventually, like you're saying, Kerp, we will run out of space in which to conserve. Um, we'll run out of lawns to take out. We'll run out of suburban areas to turn into semi-urban areas where there's walk-up apartments and no lawns instead. And um, Well, and I feel like that cycles back to what we were saying before, right? Which is, this is the space where I am an asshole because conservation does like if you look at the global number of how much you know how much water we actually and i mean global in the sense of just the the gross you know of water coming in and how much of it goes to agriculture and my answer that's like yeah drop in the bucket whatever is actually sort of a dick answer because if if through human conservation alone we're able to support another two hundred and fifty thousand people a year in growth for the city like that really is an appreciable difference, people, conservation behavior. Like when you put it that way and I go, yeah, fuck those people. Like now I am an asshole. <laughs> That's 250,000 potential listeners that you right, just told yeah. to go fuck themselves. I know. Yeah, a lot of people have just <laughs> hung up. Unsubscribed from engineering. Yeah, so one of the, the, the things about that though is that's one of the conversations that, one of the things that people are arguing about, right, is, and using water to argue about is, should people be in the business of telling us like how we should live, right? And should the state government be in the business of telling me like what my yard should look like? Um, you know, and there's a, there's obviously a, a, a very obvious political divide between small government and big government people, but you know, on a, that's kind of a macro characterization. Um, Cause on the individual level, like we're all, pretty much about personal freedoms in this country right and like those that aren't mm -hmm. those that well i shouldn't say they're not against they're not for personal freedoms but those who think that uh we should live in have <laughs> landscaping that reflects the habitat that we live in so if we live in a coastal desert your yard should look like you live in a desert those people are free to do that right and they should like we currently have the resources to make your yard look like the Amazon jungle. And, you know, there's, there's one camp of thought who says, like, well, you should be, be awesome. free to do that. If you're willing to pay the money for the water, you should be able to do that. Um, that argument ends when there is no more water, right? And the resource, resource is really scarce. Uh, but these, these kind of perspectives and worldviews play into these larger arguments and debates that people are having about water. Um, and one of those goes to ocean desalinization because there is technologically speaking there's no reason why we shouldn't be living off of the pacific ocean and having as much water as we want the technology exists and has existed for decades and decades and decades um the middle east I mean, that's how united arab emirates gets all of their water right? all of their water they have some no cloud other... seeding right but right Right. And same with Saudi Arabia and a lot of areas of Persia and the Levant. Um, but it's also expensive, those... though, right? Which is, I mean, their, their subterranean space is all full of oil, which is why they can afford. To... <laughs> right. Which is why you know, the, the biggest barrier here 
well, one of the two biggest barriers is the cost of energy to do that because pushing really salty water through a membrane and making it pure uh, takes a lot, requires a lot of energy. Uh, and a place like Saudi Arabia does not care, right? I mean, they got oil and money to burn and they need the water, so it doesn't really matter. Um, but here, going back to what we were talking about you know, earlier was that people don't want to pay a lot of money for their water. So if the cost of water goes up to accommodate the increase in energy to desalinate the Pacific Ocean, people don't want to do that. So they're always like, eh, I want to spend $100 a month on perfectly clean and fresh, beautiful, pure drinking water. How does the, how does the, how does the government feel about the idea of desalination? Before, one of the things you said that I have often repeated to other people is, and this really is your short answer, I guess, the short answer you give people is, we're not talking about any solutions to this. The drought is not bad enough that we're talking about any solutions that we haven't been talking about since the mid-70s. Like, we're not in some fury to come up with new ideas to solve the problem. We're just kind of going, well, we've been talking about this possible solution for 30 years. Maybe we finally do it? Right. <laughs> right. No, I think that, yeah, I think that really encapsulates still people's attitude to it, especially because we got a lot of rain and snow in Northern California this year. Uh, the drought, I mean, it's not like the drought is off, but the pressure is certainly off. Uh, the governor released regulations, at a, an executive order, and the state board is releasing regulations um, about modifying um, requirements, reporting requirements and reduction requirements across the state based on the amount of water that we've gotten and you know it really seems there's like, not yeah there's not going to be a lot done that's any different than it has you know it took it took Australia was in ended up being about a 10-year drought and they were in their eighth year of like serious apocalyptic type drought before they really took the bull by the horns and changed really changed land use planning requirements um and which is ironic because Mad Max is supposed to take place in Australia, right? They obviously didn't watch their own movie. <laughs> okay, so here's a good I feel like Mad Max is a good segue into what I've been itching to talk about cuz this you when I first was like, "Hey, you want to do the podcast?" like it really started from I sent you a link about a couple of hackers that managed to get into some municipal water system and raise the like pH of the water by like one notch or I don't know, you know, like a minuscule <laughs> amount. Right. And the press big ass right. deal about it. And your response to that was really cool. <laughs> You're just like, not a problem. And you started talking about like FEMA studies and like, I'm impressed the extent, like no one, this is another one of those, like, this is what your taxes pay for thing. Right. Like the extent of research that has gone into right. Figuring out how feasible it is that some Bond villain could poison the water supply of Los Angeles. Yeah, this is great. What's the scoop? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, you should certainly move at least 10 five-gallon containers of water into your closet immediately if you haven't done that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, the short, the short answer is that it would be extremely difficult to poison the water system of the greater Los Angeles area. Um, the more granular you get, like to poison a, the water on a street, that's a little easier. Um, but 
you know, Kerf said it earlier, like the amount, we were both all talking about it, like the amount of water that we have and that we use is like staggering, right? I mean, this is a massive amount of water. So the dilution factor on the amount of water that would make it to a large number of people is like enormous, right? So people, you think about the, the California aqueduct is, a, is an open trench, right? Going down through the Central Valley, like how hard would it be that people think to like dump a bag of anthrax into it? It's like, well, the, the short answer is it would probably take like four or five rider trucks of anthrax to really make a difference, um, which is a lot harder to get a hold of, probably four or five. I don't know, I haven't got <laughs> anthrax in a couple years, but um, last time I checked, it was pretty difficult to get a hold of. Um, and not only that, but they're downstream of the most vulnerable areas. Um, the water is, you know, monitored and checked and treated, um, you know, a lot before it goes into public municipal systems and is delivered for drinking water. Um, so the well, that's what I thought was interesting about like the the hackers, right? So this idea that like somebody with a computer could get in and fuck up, you know, whatever the power grid or the water or the whatever, and like, and the reality that I don't think anybody really has their head wrapped around when people try to, you know, stir up fear on that front is like water, power, like things like that are so important to us that there are fail safes in place such that if the computer system tries to do something crazy, there's literally a dude at a desk where a light goes off and he goes, what? And walks down a hallway and turns the thing and now it's a problem anymore. Right, absolutely. And I don't remember what municipality that was. Um, and I'm sure that there are some still in Southern California even, that are, you know, using like 1950s or 1970s technology, radio technology with a board with lights on it that blink. Um, but for the most part, people have come up into the 21st century and use, you know, whether it's Wi-Fi or Ethernet um, or cell-based technology to between, you know, all their different infrastructure and their different facilities and so not just a guy sitting at a desk, but in our case, the water, monitor, water quality monitor manager is at home in bed asleep at 3.30 in the morning when some hacker is changing the pH. Like his phone rings and he wakes up and he looks at his phone and he logs into his you know, secure system and just stops the flow of water from his phone. You know? uh, so <laughs> so it's, it's, it's pretty fail safe. And is, I, the article that you sent me didn't go into it, but what happened... Well, what would have happened in our district and the vast majority of districts that I know, when those hackers logged in and changed the pH, within a couple seconds, an alarm somewhere would have gone off, right? Whether it was at some guy's desk or at some guy's bedside table in the middle of the night. And um, yeah, they would be able to stop the flow of water and address that problem before it even left the station, let alone got to people's homes. And so that idea of your taxes pay for the redundancies to make sure that doesn't happen because water is so important that we need it to be a thing that works in such a way that you never even have to think about it. And that includes things like feasibility studies about like, okay, how much can one obtain, can one realistically obtain enough anthrax to get it to a point where security, like, and where would they have to dump it in for that amount of anthrax to work? And are there fail safes in between? So, and, how much you know. fluoride are we putting in the water? Because that is reaching everybody, right? Uh, the exact number, I don't know. I'm not 
Yeah, but how much you fluoridate. But I mean, the amount that the American Dental Association recommends, I'm sure is the answer. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm sure there's a lot that goes into how those guys figure that out, you know, that probably isn't all science. So then that also has to do with, you know, I mean, anthrax is an interesting, what, what is anthrax? A bacteria? Isn't it? It's something. Yeah, right. Because they give you Cipro to, to spore forming bacteria. It, right? Yeah. So, so that's you know. So, how much of the you know, uh, where I'm kind of going with it is like, okay, what about something small in molecular composition than a back a bacteria, right? Like what, like, uh, you mentioned LSD. <laughs> like what, like what? How like how much would it take, and how would you have to pull it off if you wanted to say? dose the entirety of los angeles with well yeah i mean it probably wouldn't take more than a few gallons of lsd um i don't know where you're going to get a few gallons of lsd um (laughs) but nor do i know nor do i know whether it would break down in the pipes and what you know what its solubility in water is but my guess is that you could you could really cause some pretty pretty interesting times you know (laughs) Um, so doing pretty that bad panic. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you would, man. Um, Maybe uh, not in Southern California. Maybe other municipalities. It'd be medium panic in SoCal. <laughs> medium panic. Yeah. <laughs> it would be like, the light looks a little different here, but more, it's pretty normal. It's pretty normal. You know, but I, I think the, 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 I mean, the terrorism question aside is, and I, I think that it's, I mean, it's always a threat, right? Like, that's the thing is that, like, we can always think of obvious terrorism tactics that people haven't yet employed and wonder why and freak ourselves out by thinking like, if someone decided to do X, Y, or Z, there's no way anyone could stop them, you know? And like, that's yeah, probably true, but like, it's just kind of, that's just like the cost of doing business, right? I mean, <laughs> that's the cost of walking out of your house in the morning, you know, or the case of municipal water system poisoning staying in your house i guess (laughs) but you know there's only so much that we can control and in the main scheme of things like large at least with regard to water you know large-scale terrorism poisonings or dosings i think are something that people feel pretty confident yeah i think the obvious follow-up question to that is flint michigan and like well, if there's so many, all these checks and balances oh, in place, what the fuck happened in Flint? You know? <laughs> and uh, Yeah, that's just a perfect storm of failure and ignorance. And <laughs> Right, and I think, I mean, I don't know if nefarious may be a strong word, but willful ignorance is certainly, I think, an apt description of what happened right. there. And so that without going into the chemistry too much, because um, it's boring and also because I don't understand it, understand it that well, um, is that there are... So the, the, the lead and other contaminants that were poisoning the residents of Flint, Michigan um, were, had been in the pipes for a long time, right? But it had, the water source had been disaffected, disinfected with chlorine or at least with one treatment method. And in the switch of water sources, they used a different treatment method and the water became more aggressive and pulled all those contaminants out of the pipes. Hmm. So the water that they tested was fine according to the things on their checklist, but what they didn't either think about or 
didn't want to deal with because they probably didn't think it was going to be that bad was the change in the pH and the basic composition of the water that made it more aggressive, that pulled those, that stuff out of the pipes and, and started making kids and residents of Flint sick. Right. And that's an interesting, like the lead, this is one that I'm pretty familiar with because of my dad's sure. life yeah. work in lead <laughs> uh, related litigation. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a really common problem because a lot of, you know, it's like, as time goes on, the infrastructure is slowly, you know, fixed up, but it's mostly fixed up at the level of starts at your house and moves outward. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of big, you know, main water main type pipes that are, that have a really high percentage of lead in them. Sure. Um, and it's not, it's not really a big deal as long as the pH of the water doesn't shift. Um, and that's really what happened in Flint. And then water, you know, lead is one of the first things to melt out at a slight shift in pH because it's so soft, which is why we used it in pipes in the first place. In the first place. So we can mold pipes. them. Yeah, make great, make great pipes. <laughs> it does. It makes great pipes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this, this takes us to the gen, more general question about water. Uh, and like, what should people be concerned with? Should people have water filters? I had this really pivotal moment with a buddy who was visiting a couple years ago and he was down and I was living with a bunch of people. We had like a Brita filter. I always just drink water out of, out of the faucet. Partly I had well water when I was a kid, which is like super, it was super clean. We probably had our own filtration system in house and stuff, but I, I'm like, Hey man, do you want filtered water or tap water? And he just looks at me. He's like, dude, we live in the United States. You can always drink the tap water. And that kind of just stuck with me. And every time I go to drink something else, I'm like, I can just drink the tap water. This will be completely fine. Is that crazy? Is that well not true? I mean, I it's true except when it's not, right? Like in Flint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the different one of the, the it depends on what kind of filter system. I don't know that like filtering Flint water through a Brita would have like helped you out right. at all, you know. Right. But I think in general, like yeah, I mean that's that's you know we're a industrial industrial industrially developed country that like yeah pays puts a premium on like we were talking about earlier the bare necessities, making the bare necessities affordable and invisible, right? Mm-hmm. And the last thing that any American really wants is to have his like municipal water system water tainted. You know, right. so yeah, that is something that we take care of on a very um, basic level. And the difference is, you may not always like the taste of what's in mm. tap water, uh, depending on if they have to chlorinate it a lot because um, there's a lot of stuff in it before. Um, mm-hmm. Then you kind of get that chloriney smell. Sometimes you can you, know, you can smell chlorine coming out of the tap, um, but they also add a little bit of chlorine sometimes to give it this like nice bright taste um Mm -hmm. you know if you've ever you've ever had distilled water so perfectly deionized water there's nothing else in it it doesn't taste like anything you know it's just if you have this like different feel in your mouth is basically what it's like (laughs) and if you look on the back of a lot of Drinking exactly what I was just gonna say. Bottles of water, <laughs> it will tell you that they add minerals back in. You know, minerals are added for taste. Right. Uh, so you want a little bit of stuff in your water. You want a little bit of salt. You want a little bit of like some of the other total dissolved solids that go into that makeup in order to feel like, oh yeah, I'm drinking something. This tastes good. This <laughs> tastes refreshing. 
Um, so the, the filters that filter out 99.9% .9 of things and deliver you deionized water, um, they, it may, they always claim that it tastes so much better. And if you, it doesn't, I mean, I guess it tastes better than something that tastes bad because it doesn't taste like anything <laughs> at all. But I was going to say, it's relative <laughs> if, if you have bad water. You have bad water. Right. So some wells, you know, some well water is great. You know, some well water is super pure and, you know, comes from mountain springs deep in the earth and all this kind of stuff. It tastes like wonderful, but some, some well water tastes like crap. I mean, Eastern Ventura County, where I grew up, like or Eastern Vin the city of Ventura, um, the wells there have like so much stuff it's almost chewy, you know, and like <laughs> your, your, clean, your glasses get foggy, you know, they get that like hard water stains immediately and there's that calcium buildup on your faucets all the time. Um, yeah, that's so, really the honestly like people ask me about filter, you know, the water that like I get uh bottled water delivered. And it's honestly just because everything that I have kept water in for a time or the stuff that I would put through the coffee machine, mm -hmm. you know, like it kept like I have to descale my coffee maker on like a regular basis. Weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I don't know yeah. what that is, but it going into my body doesn't seem ideal. Right. It's actually, it's actually probably not, it's probably not bad for your body. I mean, the worst part is bad for is the tongue, like where the taste buds are, you know? Right. Um, and but it's funny, not going like, to fuck up my kidneys. <laughs> no, it's, and it, you know, the interesting thing is that purely deionized water, totally distilled pure water is worse for you than, than, water that's kind of chewy right. Um, right because it's extremely aggressive so you know if you have pure water in a pipe it's going to leach whatever's in those pipes it's going to leach it out of there um and if mm. you were to drink pure water all the time you would yeah there was some ufc fighter who was drinking nothing but like straight distilled water and and had some kind of meltdown had some kind of health like you know collapse and the doctor was like oh you need to yeah, because because really, if you're drinking deionized water, like it's leaching the minerals out of your system, right? I mean, you're in reality, you're not really going to drink enough to really do that. But you know, the principle is kind of interesting. Like, yeah, that if it's too pure, it's not really good for you. You know, well, because we're used to slurping on that poop puddle, right? I mean, that's right. you know, that's right. before we had <laughs> a means to really clean very up true. water until very very recently. <laughs> In human history, we were drinking stuff that our body was and our body was fine with it. So I feel like, so I feel like you know, to try to find that that engineering spot and wrap this up, it's kind of like uh, appreciate the extent to which we have put in place the infrastructure to not even have to think about water. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I guess the big one, you know, to the people in California that are listening to this is kind of what I was saying before, which is, you know, hey, it's good to conserve. It's a thing we should do. It certainly makes sense to behave like we live in a desert, but you don't need to have an aneurysm over it. Like your blood you pressure doesn't need to go up over how many times you flush a toilet in a day. Right, or whether your neighbor's watering his lawn three days a week instead of two like he's supposed to. Right. Um, you know, and the, the corollary to that is that there are bigger fish that are being argued about, you know? Than, right. than what right. your contribution does. So, um, so, what, so you know, what difference your contribution makes. <laughs> right. So if you really, so, so if you're telling me I should take fewer showers and you don't vote, 
go to right. hell, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which I think is probably a pretty common thing out of the people that are. Telling I think me. I, so... I think I want to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> You're telling me not to shower and that's, you don't vote. Go we, to hey, hell. this is the perfect. That's, that's perfect. a perfect We've segue a into our outro. Mechanism. Yeah, let's say engineering. Uh, we have a. Uh, yeah, so we do have stuff.zengineeringpodcast.com. You can go there and you can buy things like t-shirts like that. We should make a t-shirt for every episode. You should. I should. That would be fun. I may not be in improv, but I'm pretty good at segues, huh? <laughs> let's, let's, well, uh, guys, let's get I, out of I here. Have about, I got about three more hours of stuff to talk to you about, about water. Yeah, so. for real. We'll have to um, come back. But, you know, thanks for But thanks, thanks so much for, for having me. This. this was fun. Yeah. This hour and a half. Um yeah, so interesting. I it's so fun to hear about something that's so important that no one and so complicated to give a shit about. But nobody ever. Yeah, nobody. It's not. It's you know, your job is to. It's like we we always in filmmaking. We always said you don't notice a good editor. It's the same thing, right? If you're doing your job, I never know you exist. Water editor, good term. Well, water Which editor both, is both like great. That. Not as good as water. Master, not as good as water master. Good. But... Water master. <laughs> Water executive producer. Okay. So, you know, same deal as always. Rate and review on iTunes. Find us wherever you found us. We're on all the social stuff. And just Google. That's what you're going to do anyway. And, uh, yeah, I, thanks for the having me. The enthusiasm is catching, man, I tell you. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I just fire people up to be part of the community. Give us some of those little um, hearts on Facebook, those new hearts. All right, well, I think I'm going to go um, run my hose down the middle of the street. You guys enjoy the rest of your afternoon. <laughs> Do it. Do it. We're out of here. All right. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. That was Ian. Oh, thanks, everybody. This is great. <laughs>